welcome to the Enter Player 2 podcast. I'm Nicole McFall and I'm joined by Player 2, Carl Murray. We discuss anything and everything about the world of games. Our show features deep dive discussions where we answer the questions that have all been on our minds, as well as that, we're going to go head to head in the Game of the Week showdown. Today, we're going to discuss E3 and what the future holds for the event. E3, otherwise known as the Electronic Entertainment Expo, is the biggest trade event in the video game industry to date. The Entertainment Software Association organises and presents E3 every year. Normally the convention takes place in June in Los Angeles, however this is the first year that it hasn't taken place and this is due to COVID-19. Later on in this episode we are going to discuss why this could potentially affect future conventions, but first, E3 has been around since 1995. Many memorable games have been announced here over the years. So when did you start watching E3, Nicole, or what are your earliest memories of E3? I think my earliest memory of E3 is probably about 2014, 2015. I really started watching it more when I dated you, to be honest with you. Like, I always watched games and their individual releases and then people reviewing it. But I kind of liked the excitement of the E3 conference because it kind of felt like, I don't know, kind of like a convention you've never really been invited to, but getting a sneak peek into and it kind of was a big event that I really enjoyed sitting down just having a pizza and relaxing and just I don't know taking the digs or complimenting games that came out and all the wacky ways they sort of introduced it so it was really interesting what about you? I think it was when I was in university I met more gamers like myself and kind of got more involved in video games and that's why I really got into it I think 2013 was the year that they kind of showcased the Breath of the Wild footage and then that's kind of what got me hooked back into E3 and then 2014 I had nothing to do that summer so I sat and made sure that I watched every single conference but what has been your top three games that have been announced during E3 over the years that you've watched it? Okay, I don't know if it's just because I have a terrible memory, but I picked pretty recent games. The top three would probably be the likes of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I really enjoyed the Origins game, but Odyssey just sort of brought it to a new level, and that was with Ubisoft in 2018. And then I think we can all agree that we're extremely excited about the Cyberpunk one that's been released by Microsoft, and that was showcased in 2019. So we're still getting little hints and tips of what to expect, so it's still a big hype train on that. And then I think my favourite one probably has to be the Animal Crossing New Horizons um, release. And I really enjoyed the way Nintendo did it because I think like we were all waiting for it for a super, super long time. And the exhibits and the way they showcased it was just amazing. I thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> the way um, Tom Nook was like, welcome to your vacation. It was just perfect the way it was presented. Um, and I remember waiting for three years in E3 going, it's going to be AC, it's going to be AC, it's going to be AC. So the hype train is probably what I enjoy most about it, but I really enjoyed that comment about, you know, having anything better to do than watch Ori in the Blind Forest during the summer. How many uh, scheduled events did you watch? I actually watched loads of events that summer, but I actually got it wrong earlier on. I said it was 2013. It was actually 2014 that Zelda uh, Breath of the Wild was first released. So that does my bad apologies for that. But there was I watched every single one. I think there was Ubisoft. There was um, Xbox. There was Sony, Nintendo. There was a load of other ones that I can't think of at the top of my head. So I'm just going to go with it and say what my top three games that were announced at E3. So I'm kind of uh, varied over the couple of years. So my number three is Horizon Zero Dawn, and that was shown first at E3 2015. 
And I remember specifically they showed Aloy uh, going into the grass and taking on these big massive machines. One of them actually makes it into the final game and she like slides under it and she like takes a couple of the bows and arrows and hits it. And I think it was a six minute trailer but this game really captivated me and that's why I love Horizon so much that I've been following it for all those years. Uh, Ori and the Blind Forest was for E3 2014. It was shown by Microsoft. It was just the... The action of this game and how beautiful the graphics were and the way that Ori was able to jump around on screen and the storyline just really really captivated me but it's just the graphics what kind of hooked me into this and that's what made me remember it and then of course Breath of the Wild was first showcased at E3 2014 it was announced they were working on a new Zelda game and they sat and they showed one picture and they said look look at those mountains over there you can actually go there and they talked about the new direction that they were taking with the game and it wasn't going to be your normal Zelda game and then of course they had the Guardian come out at the end they had that small cutscene of Link jumping off the horseback and putting his bow and arrow out and taking the Guardian and that that's what really sold this E3 for me and that's kind of what got me back into gaming and what start sort of started my um, E3 adventure <laughs> yeah I think there's two interesting things you said there you said that you started getting into like the E3 around 2014, 2015, which is fair to say, and a lot of us started going to uni at that time. And I think it was kind of a step out of experiencing the game and more having a bit of a respect in terms of how it's developed. So I think that's, that's just maybe us maturing in terms of our understanding of the way games are developed, produced, and sold and packaged, basically. But other than that, um, I think the three games that you've picked are really interesting because the reason being is they're games that haven't really aged. They have been standalone legacy, like Horizon Zero Dawn is still um, releasing games at the moment. Ori and the Blind Forest is probably one of the best and most beautiful indie games out there. And Breath of the Wild is, I think, many people's game of choice when it comes to the Zelda series these days so you pick some really good um, games there. Yeah the funny thing that all three games I have picked now have sequels coming out so Horizon obviously announced their sequel last month Ori and the Willow of the Wisps I think has already came out and they're already working on Breath of the Wild 2 so it's very funny <laughs> that they'll, they'll all have sequels in the next um, year or two but even their E3 showcases still captivated me for the sequels as they have for their original games. Yeah maybe all those fan letters you sent into the developers worked. No I never sequels. sent any of them. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's very hard for me to imagine what it'd be like going to an E3. It's kind of been on everybody's bucket list that they want to go. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who wants to go. This event has been around since 1995, as we mentioned earlier on. Whenever it ran that year, the organisers had no clue whether it was going to be a success. However, they managed to pull in over 50,000 attendees. 50,000. That's mad for the very first E3. If you put things into perspective, it was new, it was exciting, but at the same time, the 90s was explosive for gaming. To take you back what was showcased at this event, this is where there was three main exhibitors, and they were Nintendo, Sega, and Sony. Sony showcased the PS1, Sega launched the Sega Saturn, and Nintendo showcased the Virtual Boy. It's hard to believe a year later the Nintendo 64 was announced alongside Mario 64. Can you imagine what it would be like being there in the actual conference and seeing this game announced? The fact that it's so much history 25 years ago. So yeah, if you just like hopped in a time machine back into 1996 when the 64 games were starting to come out, I think a lot of us would fangirl and fanboy to a certain extent. But back then, like it was exciting because they were doing new things with 3D modelling. 
but the nostalgia, like the legacy of it, is definitely something I would go back to see, to be honest with you, just to see it being launched, the reactions, the way that it was starting to be consumed by gamers. It was it just sounds awesome. If we had the knowledge what E3 was gonna be and what it was going to evolve and grow into over the past like 25 years we could go back with that knowledge and be able to appreciate it a lot more for what it was i may have kind of given this away already but can you guess which publisher has attended every single e3 without fail i'm going to guess nintendo yes you because are right. you just <laughs> yeah that was because you were just sort of uh talking about the sort of large steps that Nintendo took with the 64 and with its competitors and Sega and Sony but I know you're a massive Nintendo fanboy so or Nintendo virtual boy <laughs> yeah you're right uh, Nintendo were kind of one of the big three of that year but Microsoft actually were there but they had a smaller presence on the game floor the reason that I ask this is that over many years we have seen these publishers come and go, but the big three that have always stayed around from the early 2000s have been Sony, Microsoft and Nintendo. This was up until last year, however, on the 25th anniversary of E3. Sony, who had been around since the Expo's inception, had decided they weren't going to attend. They believed that with many games being announced during the E3 period, it was news overload, as they described it, and they felt like it was no longer helpful. Instead, they had created their own destination PlayStation experience, which would focus on fewer games, but more quality titles. And I believe this was the first nail in the coffin. So you said this is the first nail in the coffin. What are we to expect after this? After what Sony did in E3. You can expect a lot more space on the E3 show floor, I can tell you that for a start. (laughs) (laughs) Sony had a massive presence on the E3 game floor. They had their own big massive booth, the same with Nintendo, the same with Xbox. And now that they're gone, there's going to be this massive open space where smaller publishers are going to have maybe more freedom. And maybe that gives maybe smaller publishers a, a bigger opportunity to have bigger booths. No, I completely understand what you're saying, but... In terms of strategy, do you think that this was something that worked for Sony? Uh, Or do you think it really undermined them in E3? I think it got what they wanted to achieve. It got people talking about their games that weren't around E3. They had the smaller showcase and they had like this event. They had four rooms and they had um, showcased four games and they brought journalists in and each room was themed around the game. So it was kind of strange experience, but I don't think they've done anything like that since but it definitely made them stand out compared to what their normal E3 would look like. Unpopular opinion, do you think it was a bit of a publicity stunt? Or do you think that they actually were trying to showcase fewer titles that were of more quality? I think this was a genuine attempt for them to be able to stand out from the crowd because around the E3 you have so many games that it's kind of, it is news overload. You get so excited for one game one day and then the next day another press conference kind of takes the cake. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I know what you were saying there about the first nail in the coffin, but you have to remember that Sony wasn't the only publisher that was making waves last year. I know that Microsoft also had a major change to their normal E3 layout. Instead of occupying that massive booth that you were talking about inside the LA Convention Center, Microsoft really started to decide to use their own Microsoft theater just down the road. And because of this, two of the big publishers that would be missing from the E3 show floor for the first time since 2007. So it was basically just a Nintendo show at that point. Yeah, there was a massive massive space on the show floor and i do believe that like discord took over one of them nintendo had a bit of expanded booth as well and i can't remember exactly what it was i remember around the time seeing like pictures of 
the, the publishers taking over where the space would have been. But 2019 could potentially be the year that E3 changes forever. Publishers could finally realize that they do not need to physically go every year. They do not need to have a massive press conference with an audience. Instead, they could possibly take the Nintendo approach, do a digital press conference where they reveal the new games and the new gameplay, and then use that booth to try and allow the public to see what the new titles are like. What do you think? Are publishers going to be taking a more digital approach to how they reveal games or do you feel like they still need to do those big press conferences during E3? I genuinely feel like digitizing the conference was going to become inevitable to a certain extent. Obviously we couldn't forecast what's happening this current year but I think the whole Nintendo Treehouse experience is definitely um, in keeping with the way things are going and that's probably due to the fact that there's a massive gaming press there's a lot more twitch streamers there's a lot more gamers with a brand online that it only makes sense that they get the game they grab it and they publicize it that way because people don't like things being shoved down their throat they want someone to experience it to be authentic about it to tell them how they enjoyed it from a gamer perspective as opposed to a developer perspective so i can kind of see that you know the pick up and play experience was probably a way that most people are going to go but I didn't expect it to be completely digitized, if I'm completely honest. So Nintendo kind of have a very strategized approach in terms of they have their Nintendo Directs every couple of months. They're not organized, they come out of nowhere. But it's the fact that during E3, they also have Nintendo Direct, but they have booths where people can try it out. They call it the Nintendo Treehouse. And they normally stylize it and theme this booth around two or three games. So I think when Breath of the Wild came out, for example, it was around, you know, Breath of the Wild and Mario, Super Mario Odyssey, I think. And then last year, it was mainly Animal Crossing. You were able to have that there, wee booth with the wee lake, and people were able to get pictures outside uh, one of the houses and meet Tom Nook, which was really a guy dressed up as Tom Nook. So <laughs> Tom Nook the Crook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was looking at all those bells from uh, the gamers. He was like, give me your pre-order, give me your bells. <laughs> <laughs> But I feel that having those booths is a very key aspect to E3. That's what people go there on the show floor to, to experience those games. So I think it would kind of be okay if you didn't want to go to a press conference. You got to watch it live in one of the theaters, and then you got to queue up and try the games. I think that's what E3 is. Not going to the press conferences, but going to enjoy those new releases before anybody else and getting that first hands-on experience like we talked about. Yeah, in terms of the hands-on experience, I think one of the things that we probably enjoy the most is the way the press consume E3 and the way that they're able to sort of show it to us and their experiences of it. And I know that there's some methods um, we've discussed while we were researching this that you really approve of. So do you want to talk a bit about the way that you enjoy the press in E3? Yeah, of course. I first need to stress, I don't think people realize this, but E3 isn't just a full week event. It's actually quite longer than that. Those publishers are setting up around a week or two before the convention, and then the press travel during this time, so they're able to preview games, and then a panel decides on the game of the show, and obviously they get to go and see all those preview builds as well. I think that the press and the gaming journalists have it the worst during E3. They have to travel across the country with all their equipment, set up shop for a few days before the event and cover all these games being released. And those gaming journalists work their hardest during E3 and that's not an exaggeration on my part. Um, would you not sort of agree that although they work the hardest, there is a massive outcome? There's a lot of content for them to work with. 
yeah what normally people do is they'll send a few people to review games on the show floor and then they'll have a few people back in the offices just literally sitting there watching games that are going to be announced and then they'll type it up so they'll maybe have five writers in an office and then they'll have the other five actually down at the e3 show floor so they're kind of getting the best of both worlds they're getting game previews but they're also getting coverage of the games that are being announced live and who do you think's the best in terms of covering e3 Personally, I believe those who have done it best have been Giant Bomb. They remove themselves from the show floor while these big press conferences are happening and instead they are in a hotel room literally across the road or down the street wherever they are and they're able to watch this press conference digitally and then they're able to kind of process it, take it in, they're able to give their opinions and then they go on to their appointments afterwards which sounds very ideal to me. You make, you make it sound like they're uh, locked up in their hotel rooms and they're not allowed to leave. I'm sure I'm sure they're enjoying it just as much but maybe, maybe it is stressful. I don't know. I'm, I'm not the press. I'm just a podcaster. <laughs> maybe we'll get the goat one day you never know one day you, you listen in the tender <laughs> <laughs> so the way that they work it is that you know e3 runs normally from it's been starting to get earlier it normally used to run from the sunday through to the wednesday it now runs from the friday or the first day before right through to the wednesday and then you have two or three days on the actual show floor where there's no more press conferences so that's kind of like described as the end of e3 so during that time giant bomb have what they call giant bomb at night where they go out during the day they go and see all the games they come back on later on and they talk about the games what they've seen other impressions but they also invite developers publishers actors and notable people from the gaming industry to talk about the event so from what you're explaining it's kind of like a e3 after party have they got some interesting guests yeah the guests literally range from phil spencer the executive vice president of gaming at microsoft to all elite wrestling's kenny omega <laughs> love a wee bit of AEW. kenny omega is he a big gamer yeah he's a very big gamer what giant bomb actually did is they had X- wwe's xavier woods on as well and because that they had signed kenny omega to all elite wrestling they couldn't appear on screen at the same time so they had um xavier come in kind of you know do a wee bit of a uh, sort of a bit and then leave and then kenny omega would get up and be like did i hear a noise and it was a very very funny experience for me i enjoy the way a giant bomb bring their light-hearted humor and spice up what normally is the seriousness of the press conferences as a viewer i think it's a credibly enjoyable experience this is a shame really that we won't be actually able to see giant bombs e3 coverage this year as e3 has actually been cancelled due to COVID 19 Instead, it's actually been replaced by like a number of events run by game developers and publishers. Some include the likes of Sony, which has showcased a number of new games, alongside the reveal of the PS5, which I'm super excited about. We also covered that in a previous episode, which you can go back and listen to in the archives if you missed it. Microsoft are also running bi-monthly events to reveal new games for the Xbox Series X, and Nintendo are planning to hold a Nintendo Direct in the near future, but we're starting to see smaller publishers hold their own game reveals online. Is this going to be the future of conferences? Will E3 ever see the return back to normal? Or are we going to see digital conferences become the new normal, the new future from now on? My personal opinion, I've seen that sentence being thrown around. What's the new normal? Is things going to be the same? I honestly think that because of technological advancements, there will be a certain amount of like ways they adapt having more frequent releases on an independent source but I don't think they're going to get rid of that conference floor quite yet. It might take a while to get there, but I think maybe that some of these conferences are actually used for small game developers when it comes to networking. I don't know. Maybe that's a complete throw in the dark. What's your thoughts? 
I think that the likes of Sony and Microsoft at the past couple of E3s have taken these smaller publishers or game developers and teamed up with them and then their bigger showcase reveals have been able to kind of give them a platform so I understand that Ori and the Blind Forest I don't know if that actually is an Xbox studio that does that or whether the ones who did Cuphead as well or a smaller like um, studio within Xbox but the likes of having them on the Xbox press conferences give them a bigger viewing as opposed to having their own smaller press reveal so for example if it's an established IP like Crash Bandicoot that's obviously going to get a lot of attraction compared to a new IP who are just releasing a small one online. So I think it really depends on the nature of the situation. But I think small developers on the show floor are where more people and more gamers are able to try out those experiences for the first time and go, oh, I actually really like this game compared to just watching on the press conference and go, yeah, it looks all right. Yeah, actually, I just had a wee think there and... From what you said earlier on about giving them a lot more room to maneuver in, I actually think that getting rid of the construct of E3, although it pains me to say that, it stops the big three from competing against each other. There's not that traction, there isn't that pressure to get one over each other and like they have a lot more time to publish something that is of quality, of, of content. But I noticed, maybe this is just due to the fact that the PS5 is a new gen, there was a lot of IPs that were released that otherwise probably wouldn't have got that coverage or that screen time in TV releases or the likes of E3. Maybe an unpopular opinion, but just sort of like highlighting what you were saying, they weren't getting that screen time and it's really interesting that we're seeing more IPs get that. I understand and I have to agree with you on that point. Sony gives smaller publishers who were not part of their internal studios a chance to shine during that PS5 reveal and I have no doubt that a few of those titles will actually come to Xbox in the near future too. They were inclusive compared to Xbox first game reveal for the Xbox Series X. So during that game reveal, they showcased all external publishers. There were none internal, and they're going to have a separate reveal for internal games that are currently being worked on in the next month or two, I believe. So personally, I preferred Sony's reveal. Yeah, you didn't really enjoy the Xbox exclusive very much, did you? You were no, like, that sucked. <laughs> no, it did really suck. And I think a few people had a bad taste in their mouth. I think the only good game that really came out of that was Assassin's Creed. But we're going to have to wait and see what happens whenever they release the internal preview coming up, hopefully in the next month or two. It's hard to tell what the future will be like for the next E3. But what we do know is this event has been fundamental in shaping the gaming industry for the past 25 years. We can only hope that it will continue to deliver a platform where publishers are able to share their hard work with audiences that love their games. Now we're going to move into our Game of the Week showdown. Hello and welcome to the Game of the Week showdown. The rules of the showdown are simple. Both players pick a game they support that fit the bill for a specific theme for this week. Both will then battle against one another in an animated debate to see which game comes out on top. The three categories to focus on are plot, mechanics, unique appeal. The winner picks the theme for the week and takes home the championship title for that week. Games used once may never be used again in upcoming showdowns. This week, survival games. So this was a very easy theme I think for me to pick so I kind of talked to you afterwards and I was like 
what is the kind of survival games are we talking about games where you have to survive or are we talking about multiplayer games and you kind of laid it out for me and you were just like no anything where you just need to really go out and survive so it could be single player it could be multiplayer so what have you chosen for this week nicole um i chose terraria oh okay i didn't expect you to go for that one <laughs> came out left field didn't it yeah i thought he went for a, a single player game but i've also went for a kind of multiplayer game known as rust oh i have such bad memories of rust i have good memories of <laughs> rust but terraria is a game that we have both played so this is going to be a really tough one and we also covered terraria in a previous episode as well can i just give everyone a bit of context i remember the one game that Carl got addicted to, to the point that I literally, at the very start of our dating, texted him at 4am and said, why are you still up playing that godforsaken game, Ross? And you were like, it's just really good, I really like it. And I'm like, you're running around with no clothes on, will you just go to bed? That's in the game, by the way, not Carl. Yeah, that's a bit of out of context there. I was fully clothed and I was playing the game. It was good. It's It was very good. It gets you really, really hooked. And just for context, I played during the alpha stage as well. So this was before it was actually fully released, uh, I think, in 2018. It was back when it was in this janky stage. And it was great. I really, really enjoyed it. And that me and a couple of friends played. And yeah, it was the, the best... Uh, week of my life <laughs> best week of your life because i banished you from planet after your 4am stint nah i'm only joking yeah the janky is probably the best word for the alpha stage it was pretty basic to begin with but i think the gameplay itself is what really hooked you yeah so let's move kind of into the showdown here so my plot there is none my game doesn't have a natural plot, but it does have a, a lore which you can find readily available online. I will not go into and divulge it. If you want to know, learn more, go and listen to Shadowfrax on YouTube. He's a great guy, covers a lot of Rust material. But the main objective of Rust is to survive in the wilderness using gathered or stolen materials. You can kind of write your own story and plot if you want to team up with your friends the way I, I did and we play it as a pack of merchants or a pack of mercenaries then you can or if you want to be a lone survivor wandering around the land in search of a bear so you can go and feast then go ahead it's a, really a blank canvas for players to be able to explore and play through the open world you write your own story <laughs> i see what you did there what did i do you took the write your own story angle which everybody loves because everybody loves to be in charge of their life you know what i mean um but if I were to just sort of press you a little bit, because I'm going to be a bit cruel this week, I need to catch up. You said about the lore and you told us to go read on it. If I were just to ask you, plain and simple, right? If you were running around, I'd be like, why? What are you trying to survive? What's trying to kill you? Like, what is it you're surviving against? So I don't want to get into the lore, but you're trying to survive against players. And there's a whole reason why those players and stuff are on the actual island i don't want to get into it it's it's a really really deep rabbit hole that if you decide to go onto youtube at 3 a.m you will fall down and it will it'll be like you're playing rust you'll wake up at 7 a.m and or you'll get off the computer at 7 a.m and you look out and you'll see the sun and you're like i've just watched four or five hours of rust videos explaining the lore of why you're on this island but trying to get back to the point you're trying to survive from other players and npcs you're trying to essentially survive and build your own life there you know 
ever since they released they've added more and more features so you know you can have horses now you can have flying helicopters and you can you actually have electricity now whenever i played you didn't have electricity so you could build your own way home and you can go on the peaceful servers and you know it's like you know you can role play and stuff like that or you could just go around and you just want to survive you want to loot you want to do raiding there's tons of opportunities in rust you write your own story i think terraria is kind of simple but takes a little bit of a step back in terms of it not being too aggressive with killing each other. More so about being able to explore that world, being able to understand the lore that encompasses it, because it's a bit of a mysterious one, Terraria. But I think a lot of people really enjoy the building element. It's like, it's a very... If I were to describe it in terms of our choices, it's a massive step away in terms of game mechanics. It has a It's a pixel art style, which I'm really starting to love and respect lately, and I don't know if that's probably because of episode two, but... Just have a bit more appreciation for that style. Would you want me to get into the plot for Terraria? Yes, please. While Terraria was initially released without a clear story component, its developers Relogic wrote and released a story connecting its characters and gameplay elements in celebration of its 8th anniversary. So I think Terraria is actually 10 years old. Um, They released an inked parchment in 2019 via the official Terraria form, and it was called Welcome to the World of Terraria. And from what I understand of the parchment... They essentially talked about these gods who established a balance to guarantee fairness of all living creatures. And this balance was to be of paramount importance with no cost too great in seeking its own fulfillment. So eons have passed since the gods first began testing the complexities of life in their fairness experiment. And they created several different worlds. Each world of Terraria is a sentient being that knows all that goes on and can feel the thoughts of all living creatures. Their sole purpose being to ensure that the desired balance is maintained. So a few different worlds would be um, would be the Hollow, Corruption, and Crimson. Are you aware of them? No, I'm not. So the Crimson are like a single emergent living being that's connected directly to each world. And then the Corruption is like the cancer that's caused by the sins of those living in the worlds of Terraria. So the vile actions and thoughts present in all beings start to feed the growth of the Corruption. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds very interesting. And before you get more into the lore, I think I'm going to have to give you this one. Yeah, I think that they have a simple component and maybe trying to encapsulate plot in a survival game is a bit difficult to do, but... I think there's a bit of a mythical ancient element to the lore with concerns yeah. to mine. So, um, yeah, so there's the corruption, the crimson and the hollow. And it's just about surviving, developing, building and making your own world around that. Yeah, I think for the reason why I'm giving Terraria this round is that Terraria kind of has set objectives for you to complete. And there are like bosses and stuff you can go to. So you can kind of write your own story. And there's like a specific point where you reach in the game that whenever you do a certain event, the whole world changes. And like you can kind of write your own story around that. But I feel like the plot is kind of if you, you know, you build, you explore the world, you go and defeat these bosses. So, and even though there's a game lore around it, the same way Rust is, Rust doesn't have an objective, you know, so that's kind of why I chose uh, Terraria for this round, because it actually has a a kind of set objective, and there is an end game to it. It's not all doom and gloom, Terraria is pretty colourful and fun, I think, despite the lore being so uh, dark and mysterious. (laughs) So since it's so uh, nice and bright and colourful, do you want to tell us a bit more about the game mechanics then? Yeah, the mechanics are pretty cool. I really like the mana mechanic. So for those who haven't played Terraria, which I really recommend that you do, it's only like eight pounds on Steam. 
Um, mana is a source that's used by the player when using magic weapons and tools. Do you remember the the blue stars falling from the sky? They're <laughs> so cool. Um, yeah. The player's current and maximum mana is shown as a vertical meter of blue stars on the right side of the screen. Um, there's also the mechanic with luck. So luck is a mechanic that influences the randomness of various activities. So obviously activities happen due to the artificial intelligence and you can change that mechanic by the sort of skill of luck. And then I think this is just from an NPC perspective. I think that the artificial intelligence for a lot of the NPCs are really articulated for a very simplistic game. So for the behavioral pattern of every NPC, enemy or critter, um, the caster AI, for example, will always warp, shoot three times, pause three seconds, and then warp again. I think there's a bit of a pattern to that. Um, so you can sort of counter it in that way. And then I think the fact that you can also um, generate each world with either the Crimson or the Corruption on desktop um, version or the console version, and the fact that the player can choose the biome during world creation is pretty interesting. A lot of people have actually compared Terraria to a simplistic version of Minecraft, but I would say Terraria is better. Mmm, debatable. Well, Terraria no longer has any ongoing support, so the final update was released a couple of months ago, and I know since then they're not going to touch it again. Oh, so, man. <laughs> yeah, whereas Minecraft just got a massive update recently, and they're going to continue to expand upon Minecraft till, I don't know, the Xbox are, are really putting a lot of love into it, so we'll have to wait and see but i'm going to now get into my game mechanics and i believe my game has quite a bit so you may want to sit down hit me with your best shot come on so we have your basic survival system so you got your hunger your health your first and you have to constantly keep them up in the world while you have that you have a combat system where you can either use a rock to kill somebody or if you find a gun you can use that as well you also have a crust crafting system where you're able to unlock recipes through looting and it's multiplayer so you're able to interact with a number of players so that there's just adding those together and that's your bog standard mechanics most of the map are is procedurally generated so it's different every single time that you play uh, so but that there means like every two three weeks on a server the whole server is wiped and and then you have a fresh start it's called a fresh wipe it means that it keeps the gameplay interesting and it means that you know people aren't able to get the best loot in the server they're not going to be kings of the server and you know they're able to do it every three weeks it gives a fresh experience for it uh, there is also NPCs such as an advanced attack helicopter which tries to kill high level players uh, to give lower le level players an advantage and I'm just kind of scraping the surface beneath Russ's complex and wonderful gameplay. <laughs> uh, I haven't really talked much about the raids or the player v player mechanics either. I can go into that if you want or you could give me the round. Are you scraping, are you scraping the rust off it? Yeah, it's very funny with that. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just starting, you know, I'm at the very top of the barrel and I'm slowly getting my way down. There's a lot I can talk about here. A lot. Yeah, I actually just thought of something really funny. I'm sorry for giggling in the back there like an absolute child. But if you were to have a t-shirt for Rust, it could say eat, beat, sleep, repeat. <laughs> yeah, that probably will be it because you see a load of um, people running around with rocks at the very start smacking into these like boxes and these big um, massive pipes trying to get stuff out of it or barrels of what they're called. Uh, it's just, it's it's very, very funny. But 
there, there's so much that literally I can talk about this game. Like they added electricity, they have like a whole water system, they have an ecosystem of being able to grow vegetables. Like I can go on and on and on. It's it's a really really intuitive game with a uh, brilliant brilliant mechanics. Can I just say something before you move on to the unique appeal? That helicopter give me palpitations. It is so stressful. It's like Hunger Games. It's so intense. It's really scary. You should see the new helicopter that actually people can build now, which I'm going to talk a wee bit in the unique pool. Also, am I able to take the game mechanics around since I have loads of wonderful mechanics? Yeah, it beats, sleep, repeat, wins. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'll talk a bit about the unique appeal for behind my game. So I will admit that from the start of this game, it is suited more for a mature audience. Uh, multiplayer and interacting with other people who you don't know is a big part to this game alongside the NPCs and threats that kind of the open world provides but Rust is a weird and wonderful world that allows you and allows players to really go on a journey with their friends Rust is described as the perfect mix between Daisy and Minecraft it's a great time where you can sink your teeth into and get lost in this world and I personally enjoyed my time with this game I sank over a hundred hours into this game when it was an alpha. That wasn't during that one week that I went for a complete binge. <laughs> you in it, sure? By the way. <laughs> you sure, man? Yes, I am sure. I had, I did play it at other parts as well uh, during my time in university. The game was released to the Steam Early Access program in its alpha stage in December 2013 and officially was released back in February 2018. And since then, it's continued to be supported by the developers who are constantly listening to fans and updating. They added new locations, they added horses, and they actually added a makeshift helicopter where you can create and like people paddle it with their feet and it runs off one of the fuels. And it's literally... That's amazing. It's literally like... A, a plank of wood some metal and a propeller and it looks like you know people are like cycling to try and get you up and it <laughs> it, it looks like a great experience the game has sold over 9 million copies and it's made Valve a total of 142 million dollars in revenue that's not too bad how long has the game been out again? the game has been out since 2013 in early access for a small developer no it's Valve it's not a small developer that's still pretty good though considering it's pretty niche game there's a lot of people play it yeah a lot of people that play it and it used to be a fiver whenever it came out and i think eventually like hopped up to i think i want to say 20 pound but whenever it was about to hop up like two or three months beforehand you know steam came out and said or valve came out and said by the way this game is going up it's going to go gold just to let you know if you want to buy it now is the best time to do so yeah, definitely. I think it's a good game. So do you want to tell us a bit more about your unique appeal for Terraria? Yes, I do. Because I want to take this one home. Okay, so in terms of my unique appeal, I think at a basic level, the game is really well designed, despite its basic pixel art style. The controls are tight and movement with accessories becomes quite fun all on its own with several options for mobility. Combat is really fast-paced, and in terms of the visuals and sounds... It's really satisfying and fun, in my personal opinion. For example, you can lob a grenade into a cluster or fire in a piercing shot down a line of enemies, which is accompanied by satisfying splat, splat, splat. Jeez, I sound crazy. Um, but with numbers and monsters flying all over the screen. So it's a bit of a hack and slash element there. It's not as crazy as your helicopter, but sure. Um, grenades and all that. There's also a huge variety of weapons and ways to attack. I have many go-to favourites across every type of class and damage type. I think the 
core mechanic really is the meaningful um building mechanic and i actually think it's really cool that the NPCs move in despite not being invited they they move in and they go up and have their rooms and i kind of think it's cool the way you can have that you're able to enjoy the creative aspect of it and it's a massive source of enjoyment personally one of my favorite playthroughs was a slow roll where if i wanted more npcs i had to make actual aesthetically pleasing house as well i went along finally there's just a really great replay value after playing through once i found myself formulating new strategies that i wanted to try as that well as that i gradually figured out all the game's little secrets and optimum's ways to progress thanks to sensei card on the podcast um but yeah i think it's just really cool i haven't really had the guts to play hardcore or expert mode because i think i would probably cry the the blood moon scares me a little bit but um yeah I, i think the replay value is probably the coolest part and the fact that you can pick multiple worlds so not only are you able to write your story you're able to rewrite it which is pretty awesome that kind of goes hand in hand with the fact that you were talking about the purge the the server scrub that you can just start all over again yeah i think it's just going to be a very tough one this week because we're talking about two games that have been made for over a number of years who are constantly having given updates by developers and who have a love and following by a number of different people it's very very difficult for me because i really enjoyed rust but i really really do enjoy terraria as well and you can see that the game developers have absolutely poured their hearts into these games regardless of you know the funny running about smashing people over the head with rocks compared to you know flying through the sky with your wings in terraria you know it's a very very tough decision for me. not to sound insensitive but running around smacking each other with rocks you make it sound like mcdonald's is open during the lockdown <laughs> yeah i <laughs> it's insane it's, yeah it, you do get those experience in rust you can literally go from a, a rock battle to a fully fledged gunfight or you could have just a bunch of people around playing guitar. Oh, I forgot to mention that that they actually you can actually play musical instruments now in Rust. What? There's a DLC pack and you can make a piano, you can make a guitar, you can make like a trumpet. Things hit the fan and you're trying to survive, you need a bit of a piano duet going, don't you? <laughs> yeah, back in the day people used to run around in Rust and they used to have uh, guitars and they used to just go outside your house and you just have people going din 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 din, din and it starts singing. It's just sounds mental no wonder you were playing it at the five in the morning yeah i know we kept on saying it but it's just the fact that i was playing with my friends we 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 didn't engage in any of that banter we were going out together we were building the base we were making it look nice and we actually got like picture frames and we were trying to do like a an art competition to see who would be the best and i think we all drew like our favorite pokemon on the wall so it wasn't like a a very oh we're going to go out and kill people we were just trying to be very friendly build a wee base and we were actually sitting chat the way to people around us you know it wasn't like very attack attack it was like oh we're just in the neighborhood we're gonna build here if that's okay with you and they were like yeah yeah that's good uh we're at war of these other people if if they ever come over here look at us and they were like yeah it sounds good so we kind of formed a, a mediocre alliance with uh, our neighbors around us um i actually really want to go back and play rust it sounds good um you really you're selling it for me i'm really really stuck i want to give me the plot you the mechanics but in terms of unique appeal carl i'm going to leave that to you I think that I'm going to have to give it to Terraria and the only reason that I will give it to Terraria is that it has been out slightly longer than Rust so I will say that their developers have given it more time and more love over the past few years. I know Rust has a massive community but I want to say Terraria has the exact same 
it's very very tough and uh, that kind of if i want to give it a deciding factor i kind of want to say terraria has been out there longer uh i think they're both brilliant games but i'm just i kind of tied here i really am I think one of the things that we can do also on our Facebook this week, we're going to have a poll up. So if you want to go across to that and vote for who you thought won this week, since it was very, very inclusive, it'll be up from Thursday at 9 o'clock GMT. On that note, if you have any interesting themes that you would like us to discuss in the Game of the Week showdown, please email us to askplayer2 at gmail.com. That will also be mentioned in the fan box section. You mean askplayer2 pod at gmail.com yes ask player two pod at gmail.com so that again ask player number two pod at gmail.com so what have you chosen nicole for next week's game of the week since terraria won and it was a massive punch out i think the next thing for the game of the week showdown is going to be fighter games like what you hear so far Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you very much for all your support. Now back to the show. And now is that part of the show where we answer your questions. If you have any questions, please send them into askplayer 2 pod at gmail.com. Again, that's askplayer the number 2 pod at gmail.com. So the first person to message in this week is Sharon. Do you think E3 was already dying before this year's pandemic? If so, why do you think this is? I'm going to put this to you, Carl. So we kind of talked about this at our deep dive discussion at the very start of the episode. Uh, Do I think that E3 was dying before this year's pandemic? Yes, I do believe it was. With Sony pulling out, obviously that left a massive gap on the show floor. Combined with Xbox also moving down the road, that left also a massive part on the show floor. But the main difference is that people were able to go from the convention center to the Microsoft theater. And if you had an e-free pass, you were allowed in. That was the good thing. They didn't charge. They weren't um, difficult about it. But if Microsoft decided to pull out next year and they didn't have like an actual event, then I would really think it would be dying. However, I can't see uh, Microsoft moving away from it. They will have a booth or they'll do something on their own, the same with Nintendo. But only time can tell what next year is going to be like. What do you think, Nicole? I kind of think that E3 was dying a very slow death to begin with. Although it kind of hurts me to say this, I really enjoy the hype train element of it, the entertainment value that I get as somebody who watches it. But you kind of have to think of E3 as a bit of a horse and pony show. Some developers were feeling extreme pressure to get out games and get a one-up from their competitors and for that reason some of the games sort of fell flat it became a wee bit derivative it was about giving people what they want as opposed to what they wanted to develop and i think that them taking that sort of step back doing their own showcases making it more digitally innovative has allowed them to reinvest their money where it's meant to be which is in the product as opposed to the placement and I can kind of see that's reflective of the sort of things we've started to see from the likes of Microsoft and PS5 with the IPs. So yeah, E3 was already dying for this year's pandemic, but I think COVID just really just buried it. This next one comes in from Chris. What are your thoughts on Cyberpunk being delayed until November? I am absolutely raging. Are you actually? <laughs> yes, they just keep delaying it. 
stop. It, it's very disappointing for a few people. I know a few guys who booked a couple of days off work in September for it, and they had to cancel their annual leave to then push it on to two or three uh, months down the line. And even then, they're now saying, what do you see? It'll be delayed as well. But do you think that it was delayed for a specific reason? Do you think that it was delayed until November, so it'll be a launch title for the Xbox Series X and the PS5? Or am I just going a bit conspiracy first on this? Oh, you get your tinfoil hat on your head there, aren't you? <laughs> Just a wee bit, yeah. Yeah, um, if I'm completely honest with you, I think no matter whenever you release Cyberpunk, it's going to be popular. They've been teasing it for so long that um, I think people are just going to be excited to see the final product, whether it be September or November. I'm raging a wee bit because this is something that was all been in our minds since last year, really. You know what I mean? And I think maybe it's strategic. I think that they do have to keep in line with the sort of releases going on that but it's also the run up to Christmas um, so they're probably trying to get Christmas sales there I don't know maybe maybe it's just for quality purposes and they just want it to be the best product it can be and that's just going to take a bit longer it's kind of the same, the same way with Animal Crossing I think that you're correct in saying that so from what I've heard the story is finished everything in the game is done everything like all the systems work it's literally just bug fixes it's people who are QA testing it and they're going through and they're going right this is a bug this is a bug this is a bug so I know the press got access to it last week and they were able to talk about the first four or five hours of the game openly they were able to talk about their decisions their ongoing branches and also how they felt about the game they said there were one or two noticeable bugs they weren't game breaking bugs they were just literally quality of life stuff so I think that maybe we can wait two months just for them to be able to iron it out it's a very very big game it's a game everybody's been waiting for and i think that they just want to have as much love and polish for this to go out they don't want a massive day one patch coming through straight off the bat they wanted to go out flawlessly yeah from what you were saying about some of the press get their hands on playing five hours at the start of the game there's so many layers there's so many directions and options that you can take so being able to fix those little bugs that would maybe make a perfect gameplay imperfect. It just makes sense. Um, and also, I think whenever Nintendo were able to politely do that, and then most game developers realise, okay, you know, fans are, are willing to wait for the best product that they can. And I don't know if that's a good comparison, but I remember with this, or not Assassin's Creed, ugh, I meant <laughs> Animal Crossing. Um, it's just like, please just give us that wee bit of time just to get it just perfect. And I think this is the same with Cyberpunk because it's going to be something that people will talk about from years to come, I think. You were getting your ACs mixed up there. I know. <laughs> I, oh, I'm such an AC fangirl in so many respects. It's a melt to me. I've been like, Assassin's Creed, New Horizons. <laughs> <laughs> but to put it uh, perfectly, uh, I can't remember exactly who quoted it, but a delayed game is better than a rushed game. So our last question is from Sarah. What games are you hoping to see at Xbox and Nintendo's digital showcases? So I'll take Xbox if you'll take Nintendo card. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, so I think the games that I'm really excited to see at the Xbox Digital Showcase is Halo Infinite and Yakuza Like a Dragon. What about you? So the games that I'm hoping to see during Nintendo's Digital Direct is the Super Mario Bros. Hopefully they'll have something lined up for the 35th anniversary. Something like Super Mario Galaxy 2 Remastered or maybe uh, Mario 64 Remastered for the Switch. And I'm hoping that we see some new footage for Breath of the Wild 2. It's a long shot, but I'm hoping that we get there. 
Thank you very much for listening to another episode of Enter Player 2. Make sure to visit us on all our social medias. Links to our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram can be found in the link description. Please be sure to subscribe and you will never miss a show. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a rating and a review. Log in and join us again at Enter Player 2. We'll see you again next week. Thank you for joining. Bye. Bye.